0: today's modern society just how important is faith? How can we know that God really exists and if he does does he even see what's going on in the world or care? If so why do bad things happen to good people? Is it some kind of test? If bad things happen does it mean something's wrong with us? There are so many different religions in the world. Is one better than the others? Or are they all the same? Why should we trust the Bible in our day and time? How do we know that this book, written centuries ago, is accurate and relevant for us now? If it doesn't make any difference in what we believe, I believe. These questions are important. Let's talk about it.
1: I'm so glad that you're here today. We are in a series entitled, Why Believe? And we're talking about some of the big questions people ask about about God, about Christianity, about Jesus. We're we're, uh, taking those questions and we're addressing some of those questions. What happened was, is we actually ask a polling company if they would do a survey for us about what are the biggest issues or questions that you have about God and the top four getters, vote getters, are the four ones that we're working with. A couple of weeks ago we, we uh, talked about that question of how can I know for sure That God actually exists. We talked about that. And if you weren't here, I wish you'd go online and listen to the message. And then last week we talked about the issue of why do bad things happen to good people? And we addressed that issue. This morning I want to talk to you about this issue. Aren't all, all religions sort of valid expressions of God? Doesn't every religion sort of have a pathway that is a valid pathway? to God, but if you stop and think about it, uh, does God really care what religion you believe in? Does He really care about all the details that you believe in? Doesn't God just want us to be good people, and if we're good people, no matter what religion we have, God will see that and He'll take us to heaven too? None of the things I just said do I believe, but most Americans do believe exactly what I just articulated. So I want to talk to you about that. The first time that really, that really got my attention was in 1993 at the presidential prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. There was a speaker who made this statement, and here's a quote, "'Faith in God, reliance upon a higher power by whatever name, is in my view essential.'" David, who went to a college, he's a Baptist and went to a state college, and he, in his freshman year he took a, a course in religious studies, and the professor that he had in religious studies got his PhD from an Ivy League seminary, and he, his opening statement in this religious studies course was this statement to the effect, we will assume that each of the founders of the major religions all taught equally valid expressions of the truth." Both of these quotes are the things that we hear all the time. It doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter what your religion is, it just matters that you're a good person. That's what God is wanting and if you're a good person no matter what is the name of your God, that doesn't matter either. It just matters you're a good person. If you are, then God's going to accept you into heaven. And many people believe it. And in fact, a major poll just a few years ago said that 57% of evangelicals who were asked this question responded, there's not just one way to God, there's many ways to God. Jesus is one of them, but he's not the only one. These are evangelicals. An evangelical is a person who says, I believe that the Bible is God's word. I believe Jesus was born of a virgin. I believe he lived a perfect life. I believe that he died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe he rose again from the grave. And God has told us to share him with other people. That's what an evangelical is. It's people who are churches that are white churches and black churches and Asian churches and Hispanic churches and churches that are mixed like ours is are evangelical churches that believe these things and yet 57% 57% of evangelicals said Jesus is the only way there, there's a lot of different ways that lead to God 70% of Americans in the poll said Yep, that's what I think. There's a whole lot of ways to get to God. Now if you think about it, this this is an evangelical church. By the way, evangelicals don't get much good press these days, I I guess you've noticed that. Many people try to evaluate evangelicals who don't have a clue who we actually are. But it strikes me, since this is an evangelical church, probably many in this room, many in this room believe exactly what I've just articulated. Jesus is important. He is absolutely good, and I believe in Jesus. But there are many ways to get to God, not just one way. And so here's what I'm asking from you. I'm asking you, would you grapple with me over this issue today? I want to talk to you about this issue. And I'm asking you to come and let's explore the idea of this, uh, of this issue. Do all religions actually lead to God or not? As a result of the poll that I just quoted, D. Michael Lindsay, a Rice University sociologist of religion, made this statement. He said, The survey shows religion in America is indeed 3,000 miles wide and three inches deep. And I totally agree with him. And you know why? Well, part of the reason is, is that So few people who call themselves Christ followers actually know much of what's in the Bible. So few actually read in the Scripture. Mostly they just do little devotionals in which they only hear things that they really want to hear, but don't really know what the Bible actually teaches. Another reason is because there's so many pastors who so compromise God's Word And that compromising of God's Word then goes through the entire congregation. And the end result is that there is a weak, ineffectual, shallow kind of Christianity that does not represent what the Bible says at all. Look, I get it. I really do. I see how inviting the concept is. Can we all just get along? I mean, we all have a little bit of the truth, all of us do, and not one is better than the other, and especially in a world in which, honestly, you can't even, can you go a day now? Can you go a day without hearing of some bombing, of some knifing, of some running over by a car, some blowing up somewhere, or shooting somebody? With uh, Many of these are uh, Muslim extremists who kill Christians, but... Kill more Muslims, melt more fellow Muslims than they kill anybody else, because those other Muslims are a little bit different strain than they are of their of their faith, And, and in India right now it is ramping up the attacks against Christians, beating them up, of imprisoning them, by in the name of Hinduism, and it is by government officials who are doing this in India. There's a lot of all this going on, and Christians haven't been innocent ourselves in how we've treated other people as well. Can't we just get along? Can't we just, okay, you got a little bit, I got a little bit, we all love each other, sing around the fireplace, kumbaya. Can't we we just get along? Let me just tell you this. The Bible calls for Christians to be loving and respectful, and kind to all people, including those of different religions. The Bible calls for you and I, as Christ followers, to be loving, and kind, and gracious, and patient with every person, every person doesn't matter what their skin color is or their ethnicity or their language or their politics or their lifestyle, whether they do things that God says is wrong or not. It doesn't matter. The Bible says to us, we are to treat every human being lovingly and kindly and graciously and people that are of other religions as well. And we, When we don't do that, we are never honoring God. We are never honoring God by treating people any other way. I've listed all these passages of Scripture in the Bible so that you could see them, look them up, and you will come to that conclusion. The Bible teaches us to treat each other this way. But that isn't really the issue that we're talking about today, is it? The issue isn't are we to treat each other good. The issue is do all religions have a valid pathway to God. And here's what I want to say, if the answer is yes, it creates two great problems. The first is that the explanation of who God is, is so contradictory in all these religions that they cannot be harmonized. And number two, the pathway to heaven or to salvation or however it is it's termed in those religions, the pathway to it is so contradictory it cannot be harmonized. And so that is what I want to talk to you about today as we get started with it. And the first one is simply this, the understanding of God in the various religions is totally contradictory. When I hear people say, you know, really all religions have a little bit of the peace of the truth and all religions have a pathway to God. When I hear people that are Christ followers who say that, the first thing that comes to my mind is more than likely this person does not know very much of the Bible or they wouldn't have made that statement. And number two, they probably don't know very much about the other religions. Because if, you, if you're back, you know, 100,000 feet up in the air or well, a long ways away, you, it all sort of runs together. But when you really actually understand the different religions and what they teach, you just can't bring them together. What I want to do is just give a paragraph about each one of these religions, and I've tried to be very fair. I've tried to be very fair and not exaggerate in, uh, in any direction, but try to give a synopsis. One paragraph, can't go into de- great detail this morning for either, any of them, but I want to give like a paragraph that sort of summarizes them. Hinduism, for instance, teaches pantheism. Pantheism is the belief that everything in the universe is somehow a god. So there are, in effect, millions of gods. In fact, the ultimate goal of a Hindu is to stop the process of reincarnation and become a god himself connected to the the cosmic consciousness. In contrast, classic Buddhism teaches there is no god. There's millions of gods, now there is no god. Uh, Buddhism was a formed, created by a guy named Siddhartha Gautama 500 years before Jesus, and he was a Hindu, but he came to believe that Hinduism was totally false, it was totally wrong, there aren't a million gods, and and in fact, he came to a conclusion that there is no God, but that there is one great goal, and the great goal is nirvana. In America, I hear this all the time, that nirvana is another name for heaven, (laughs) See, we just don't even know because nirvana has nothing to do whatsoever with heaven. Nirvana is not exactly annihilation, but it's similar in meaning to annihilation. The whole idea of nirvana is that a person would break their reincarnations and be absorbed into the cosmic consciousness and cease to be an individual. So as an individual, they're annihilated, but they're part of this energy, this cosmic consciousness. In Western thought, this is so strange for us, but that is the idea of Buddhism. There's millions of gods, there's no god. In Islam, there is only one god named Allah. Historically, Allah was the moon god of the Arab tribe of Muhammad's birth family. History shows that Muhammad was greatly influenced by travelers that would go through mecca that were jewish and christian and that he was in he was in contact with these and talk he gained great information about the old testament and the new testament and he fashioned islam through what he was saying was uh, some visions that he had experienced about 500 years after Christ. That's when he lived 500 years after Christ. Muhammad's description of God is not how the Bible describes God. Islam claims that the Bible got it wrong or maybe the Bible got changed over time and so maybe it started out right but it got it wrong. So now is the Quran gets it right. The Bible has it wrong, the Quran has it right about God. Muhammad's version of Allah is as a distant unknowable god. He loves, but his love is totally conditional. He loves, but he is total it his love is totally conditional and is seemingly arbitrary. Now his love is conditional because he loves only those who first love him, who do the things that please him, now he loves this person based upon performance, based upon doing the things that pleases him. And it's possible, uh, any Muslim would would tell you this, it is possible that a person could do all the things that that Allah loved and appreciated and and that sort of thing, but that at the end of the day, that Allah could, for whatever reason, simply choose to ignore those good deeds, and that person would still be lost forever. Allah is not a father, and he has no son. Muslims greatly respect Jesus as a prophet. The problem is is that you know you can use similar terms but be talking about totally different things. And that is true about the name Jesus because the Jesus as described by Islam is not at all the Jesus of the New Testament. Same name, but it is not the same he is not the same Jesus of the New Testament. In Islam Jesus didn't die for people's sins, Jesus didn't rise. From the dead. So there is a great respect for Jesus as a prophet, but he is not the same person that we read about in the New Testament. Uh, I come to, every time I, I come to work in, in the morning, I pass this uh, billboard that has about Islam and it lists all the prophets. And, you know, all the lists there, uh, many uh, of of prophets in the Old Testament, and then there is Jesus, and then there's Muhammad. And the whole idea of the billboard, I think, is, you know, we're all kind of in this together, and what you just don't know is that there's a last prophet, and you've missed him. So you ought to open your mind to that. But the problem is it's deceiving because there are so many differences in the Old Testament Of the individuals they call prophets, same name, but some differences, and Jesus totally different. This is Islam. In Christianity and Judaism, there is only one God, and His name is Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H. But there are only consonants in the Hebrew language, and so it can be pronounced Jehovah or Yahweh, either one in the Hebrew language. God loves unconditionally, He loves even those who don't love Him. He expresses grace even toward those who don't believe in Him. At the same time, God is holy and just and requires judgment. In Christianity, where we differ with Judaism is that we believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah that the Jewish people are looking for and are still looking for, but He actually has already come, and it's Jesus. It's the only difference or the beginning of the difference between the two religions. In Christianity, those who actually knew Jesus, who heard Him, who saw the miracles of Jesus, called the apostles... You see, Muhammad lived 500 years after Jesus. He, he never met Jesus, obviously, 500 years later. But those who knew him, who heard him teach, who saw the miracles, those apostles declare that Jesus said that God is a heavenly Father and that Jesus is his Son who came to the earth, that God is a personal God who wants us to know him and us to know him. Him, and Him know us. His love for us is unconditional. His Son took on a body, Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. Why? To pay the penalty for the sin we've done. And on the third day, He rose again from the grave. And He provides for a salvation if we commit our heart by faith to Him. Now, stop for a moment right here, and I want you to see what I've explained. How do you put all these together? There are millions of gods. There is no god. There're only one god. There's only one god and he is impersonal and distant. And he has totally conditional love. There is one god and he is not distant. He's personal and he has unconditional love. The only way you can put this together is the idea of schizophrenia. If you just think about it, just be honest about it, it would, it's, it's sort of schizophrenic. If you think about it, how can you have all of this? Doesn't it make sense to you? Doesn't it make sense that if it's one God who is sharing all this with different people around the world, he's going to at least get it right every time he knows who he is instead of it being so hodgepodge and mixed up, it would be consistent, It'd be consistent everywhere because God truly has expressed himself. But that's not, that's not the case at all. And so if you believe that all these religions are somehow, somehow God, you're stuck with a real mess here. It's like if someone said, I met Carlos Correa. The shortstop for the amazing world champion, Houston Astros. I met Carlos Correa. Did you know he has long wavy hair and he has purple skin? And another guy said, are you crazy? I met Carlos Correa. He has red hair and blue skin. And another guy says, I met Carlos Correa. He doesn't have any hair or skin. Carlos Correa is a person. He has, by the way, he has hair and he has skin. And he's a person. He is who he is. He can't be all these things all at the same time. And in the very same way, God is a person. He's not a human, but he has personhood. And he is who he is. He has a nature. And you can't make up all these things about God. He is who He is, and He reveals Himself. We don't decide who He is. And so, if you honestly and truthfully believe that all these religions are somehow pathways to God, you've got a real crisis on your hands about who God actually is. Look, we can and we should be respectful and kind and patient We should be loving to every Hindu person that we encounter, treating them respectfully. Every Buddhist person that we encounter, we ought to treat them with kindness and love. Every Muslim person, we ought to treat with genuine love and respect and kindness. This is who we are as Christ followers. Every Jewish person with respect and kindness and love, this is is who we are. But acting like somehow all these contradictions about God don't exist between the religions is being dishonest to reality. So what does God call us to do as Christ followers? He calls us to two things. He calls us to grace with a capital G. Grace with a capital G. I want you to be loving and kind and patient and considerate to every person. I don't care what religion they are. I don't care what background they are. I don't care what language they are. I don't care about who, whatever. We are to be loving and kind and respectful to every other human being. Grace with a capital G and truth with a capital T but we are to live the truth of God's Word. And we can do both. We can be both. Jesus was both. So the first thing I say to you is we got to be honest. we got to be honest with reality while we're being kind and loving. The second thing I want to say is that the idea of how to be saved is, this is the amazing thing, stay with me, is the same with every major religion except Christianity. Every other religion, every single one, has the exact same idea, pathway of how to be saved, but not Christianity. Christianity is here, and every other religion is here. What do I mean? Every, pretty much every religion says how you get saved, how you go to heaven or nirvana or whatever it is, is you are a good person. You try to be a good person. You try to do good things. You try to live well. If you are a good person, God sees that and He says, okay, come right on into heaven because you've been a good person. Every religion is that way. If you're going to be good, you can go to heaven or reach extinction called nirvana, but if you're bad, you can't. You got to use then a Tibetan prayer wheel or you got to go on pilgrimages or you got to give money to the poor or you got to avoid eating certain foods or you got to pray in a certain way or you got to go through a series of reincarnations. And all of this, if you got more good deeds and you got bad deeds, boy, you are in great shape. All of these are man's attempt to reach God and say to God, look at me, I'm, I'm doing good. I want you you to save me because of my performance. In every case with all these religions, a person does good to other people in order to save themselves. In other words, their good deeds have a self-serving motive to convince God, save me. Look how good I am. The problem is in none of these religions... Is there an effectual number of good deeds identified? Meaning, okay, when have I gotten it done? When is is enough good deeds? When Do I know I've gone over the top? When do I know I'm saved? And in every single one of these religions, you never really know. When it comes to dying, you're just hoping for the best, and that's the best you got. In New Testament Christianity, it says that our salvation is totally dependent upon God, not you. The Bible says that nobody can earn their way into heaven. Just read these two passages of Scripture that I list there for you. It's exactly what they say. Jesus identifies several truths. He says, first of all, everybody has sinned. if you don't think you have, just talk to the person who actually knows you and they will inform you. All of us are sinners. And that sin has separated us from God. And no matter how hard we try and all the good works we do, we can't do enough. And so Jesus came to be our Savior. Meaning, came to do for us what we cannot do ourselves. He came to be our substitute, to pay the penalty of our sin. There's a penalty to every crime. There is a penalty to sin, and He came to pay that sin so that we wouldn't have to. He took our punishment upon Himself. He died on the cross. He rose again from the grave and offers to us the salvation forever with His Father. All the other religions, every last one of them, you can summarize with one word, two letters, do. D-O. You do. You do enough. You can do enough good things, you can make it. But with Christianity, it is actually spelled with one word, four letters, done. D-O-N-E. It's done. Jesus Christ has done for us what we could not do for our selves. Christianity tells us to do good deeds. Yes, that is true. But the reason and the only reason is to express love and obedience to God, not to convince God to save us. He saves us by us being willing to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So now we do good things not to save us But because, God, I love you, I'm so thankful for what you've done for me, I want to be obedient to you, and I do good things to honor you. And if you think about it, just stop and think about it. The first way I'm going to get saved by my good deeds, it's a self-serving motive. I do good things, but only so it does something for me. But the other one is, actually, I'm already saved. Because of what Jesus did, so now I do right things Because I love God and I honor Him and I want to obey Him. It is a total different motive for why we do what we do. What separates Christianity from every other religion is Jesus. So what does that mean? What does it mean? Well, first of all, Jesus is the person who said, He's the one who said, John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No one. No one comes to the Father. Well, but maybe people in the... He says, no one. This is Jesus. No one comes to the Father but by me. The disciples heard him say it, and this is why Peter and John says what they said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. Why did they say it? Because this is exactly what Jesus said. So Jesus said it, so they said it. There's only one way to be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus purposely put Christianity in a separate class totally different than any other religion. And the Bible's very clear. Listen to what it says. We're not saved by how good we are. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. God saved us. It was not because of any good works that we ourselves had done, but because of His own mercy that He saved us. Now here's, I'm asking you to do me a favor. Seriously, grapple with this. I want you to think with me. When a Christ follower... When a Christ follower says all religions are valid expressions of God or that we can get to heaven by being good, that person is actually saying that Jesus was wrong. Would you deal with this issue? Would you, would you open your heart? I've read these verses. Jesus said. And when we say, no, I think everybody goes to heaven... <clears throat> Whatever the religion, there's a pathway, and if you're good, you're going to go to heaven. When we say that, we're actually saying, Jesus, you are wrong. You know what I think? I think most people who say these things don't even realize what they're saying. I don't think they even realize what Jesus said. I, I think what people are doing is that we hear this everywhere we go, don't we? Every, in our classrooms and, and at work, and we're trying to be loving and caring for other people. And so it's just easy to say, yeah, everybody has their own way. You're a good person, Yeah. But in reality, we are saying, "Jesus, you are wrong." I, I um, don't get to be around a whole lot of people. Uh, my pathway doesn't doesn't cross a lot of people that do not know Christ. I, I work at the office, and they tend to all be saved there. And. <laughs> I, you know, and so I don't get get to cross paths a lot. So what I try to do is I try to encounter people online. It's just a great way to do that. And over and over and over, people online tell me how arrogant I am. Because invariably, it's not going to be long and they're going to ask me the question, do you think that Jesus is the only way? They're going to ask me. I know they're going to. There it is. And I always come back and say, yes, you are so arrogant. I can't stand you Christians. Look how, can't you open your eyes and see how arrogant you are and how bad you are and blah, blah, blah. And here's how I respond. I say to them, please, your argument is not with me. Your argument is not, your argument is actually with Jesus. Your argument is you're upset with Jesus and you need to come to terms with it because this is what he actually said. I didn't write it, so why do I believe it? It's because I am a Christ follower and Christ said it. So I'm going with it. So you're mad at Jesus, you're not mad at me. You're going to have to take this up with him. Why do I blame Jesus? Because he's got big shoulders and he's the one that said it in the first place. So I just point them right back. And let me just tell you, on the day I die, I get old and die and I'm going to tell you I'm so young it's unbelievable. And so that is so long. But on the day I die, I will still be believing and teaching. There's only one way that you can get to God, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the reason I will be is because I am a follower of Jesus, and I can't rewrite the Bible. I can't rewrite it. I'm going with Him because when I see Him, He'll hold me accountable. And by the way, he'll hold all of us accountable. Here is the last question. Then, what gives Jesus the right to say he is correct and everybody else is wrong? What gives Jesus the right to say that? Only one thing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrated what He said about God, what He said about Himself, what He said about being saved, has to be true. How many people rise from the dead? Not very many people. And He did. And by the resurrection He demonstrates who He is, what He said is true. In 1752, in Rhode Island, I bet you you never heard this story before, there was a woman named Jemima Wilkinson, 1752 in Rhode Island, and Jemima Wilkinson was able to convince 200 people to follow her because she convinced them that she was the daughter of God and the only path to salvation. 200 people following her. So there is Jemima, and she's got all the people following her, and one day as they're following her, they come to a lake, and she says, how many people, how many of y'all believe I could walk on this water across that lake? And every single one of them raised her hand. She said, well, okay, if all of you believe that I can, there's no reason to do it. And so she just walked <laughs> uh, around on dry ground. I'm serious. This is true. So... There were some that became skeptics and they left her, but there was still a hundred or so that were still following her and followed her all the way to her death in 1820. Now she said to them right before she died, when I die, do not bury me because in three days I will come back to life. So she died, and they laid her out on this table, and um, the third day came and went, and she's still dead, and the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day, and then they buried her. They said, okay, that's it. You see, it's one thing for someone to convince you, okay, I am something, but when they say the proof... That I am who I say I am is that I will come back alive in three days. Well, uh, you can pretty well nail this one down then, one way or another, can't you? This is exactly what Jesus did. And he had not just 12 followers, he had hundreds of followers. And in fact, the Bible says he appeared after his resurrection to over 500 people. How do we know that Jesus was telling the truth? Because Jesus did what He said He was going to do. He rose from the grave. He appeared for 40 days with these disciples and others. Now look, I know you can sit there. Well, okay, you say that. And here's what I want to say to you. Even today, People who are skeptics and who are knowledgeable of all the arguments back and forth will say, "There is not a chance that this this has come and gone. This this dog won't hunt, or whatever the phrase is, that he, that the disciples stole the body. They don't even say that anymore. That that, that argument's not even used anymore. That the disciples stole the body, or they just uh, lied and said, made up a story that he rose." Even the skeptics who say we don't believe in the resurrection say the disciples without a question believe that He rose from the grave. Even the skeptics say that. And the reason is because if you honestly take a look at what happened to all these people afterwards, they were beaten, they were uh, 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 abused, they were tortured, they were jailed they were then executed and they could have stopped it anywhere along the way they just said okay I I was just I just made that up if you recant the resurrection you're 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 okay now not one did not one did not one did they went all the way to the end and here's why they said we can't we've seen him we were with him for 40 days we know he's alive And they were so convinced that their blood became the seed of the church and thousands of hundreds of thousands of millions of people came to faith in Christ because the truth is it was irrefutable. Now, there are two books, two guys in our lifetimes or close to our lifetimes, not for everybody in the room, but for most in the room. There are two people alive today. Who were atheists? Who decided, I will disprove, I will show all the fallacy of the resurrection? Lee Strobel and Gary Habermas, both atheists, both of them went to the task to demonstrate how great the objections are to the resurrection and how they trump the whole idea of the resurrection. And both of these guys, when they went through the pros and cons, the evidence that is out there, both of them came to faith in Christ. Both of them did. And both of them wrote a book. And so if you want to read a book of an atheist who, and let me tell you, Lee Strobel was a passionate atheist. You want to read the story of? Here's what happened to me. Here's what I uncovered. Here's the pros and cons I discovered, and I came to a place to say it is true. It is true. I can't help it. It is true, and I came to faith in Christ. Read Lee uh, Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. The Case for Christ. Read Gary Habermas' book, The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. I put that right in your notes. And you can even go to Gary Habermas' uh, several of his websites in which he discusses different issues and at least get the ideas because here's the truth. What happens to the, about the resurrections? people just dismiss it. Well, it's a, it, it can't be true. It is true. And because it is true, Jesus is who He said He is. God is who Jesus said He was. And salvation happens the way Jesus said. I've said two things today. I've said, number one, God has called every one of us to grace with a capital G. To love and be kind and be respectful to every person. I don't care who they are. It doesn't matter who they are. That we are to treat every human being as a human being. It is to be who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And second of all, He has told us to follow the truth with a capital T. And the truth comes out of His Word. And the evidence for it, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I challenge you, don't cave in to this culture. I know everybody thinks this way. I know there are evangelicals who are just screwed up and think wrong. I know it. You think clearly grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, it's just a tough issue and yet so easy when we simply go to you and your word and we take a look at truth. There's so little of it in this culture, just such little truth, so much emotion, so much overreactions. So much we don't want to hear any other opinions. So little truth. God, I pray that you would help us go to you and your word, and the validity of it is Jesus and the resurrection. Help us to be grace and truth. Father, I pray for those in this room who have never come to know Christ as Savior that have questions and issues, God, help them to make a decision today to open their heart at least to get answers. And for those, Father, in this room that know Christ and they're visiting today, there's a sense in their heart, this is the place, God, you want me to be, to be willing to say, I'm coming to make Sugar Creek my home. Move in our hearts, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.